Now, go back with me to Romans chapter 15, and let's kind of wrap up uh, a section, but really wrap up a discussion that I introduced with all my frustrations um, two weeks ago. Um, It's the last three verses of uh, the opening paragraph of Romans 15. It starts in verse 5. I want to read those three verses to you. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I I said to you two weeks ago that there are four different places where Paul discusses unity among Christians. He, He does it once in Colossians, he does it a couple of places in the book of Ephesians, and he does it here. He uses different Greek words in those, in those four places, but uh, basically he's pleading for the people of God uh, and their unity. Whereas Paul um, may only mention it four times, which I think is a, a lot. Jesus mentions it in his high priestly prayer in John 17. I told you that two weeks ago. And the, the subject that he discusses the most in the high priestly prayer is not holiness. It is not evangelism. It is not tithing. It is unity. The thing that, is, that occupies most words... Uh, from Jesus in John 17 is his concern about the people of God and and their unity. I told you um, two weeks ago that there are a couple of things that are in this text about it, um, the source of it and the goal of it, and we'll get to that in a minute. But um, uh, I mentioned that the real issue has to do with the nature of it, the nature of the unity that is supposed to be ours. And that's where um, I personally have a whole lot of uh, interpersonal struggle because I just don't know about some of the things that go on in the Christian church uh, and whether I should be unified with that. Now, guys, um, and when it comes to this subject, um, when it comes to this subject, the question is, how big are you going to draw the circle? I mean, who are you going to include in terms of those with whom you are going to be unified. How big or how small are you going to draw this circle? I mean, you can draw it um, because you think you've got, you're the only one's got the truth. Or you can draw it like the liberals draw it. <laughs> you know, it's so much easier for a liberal to be unified because they don't believe anything. Um, it, you know, if you're a Muslim, that's all right, we just want to be one. You know, it doesn't make any difference. Oh, you're one of that. Okay, put that in there too. Because we don't believe anything. But when you believe things, when you believe things and you, and, you, and you consider them to be essential gospel truths, then how big you make your circle really gets complicated. Who am I going to include and who am I, I going to exclude? Um, and that's what I mean when I talk about the nature of unity. Guys, the nature of the unity that I think should characterize us as God's people. Who you, who you include and who you don't. How big to draw that circle. That's the... Um... So I kind of left you with my frustration uh, two weeks ago by saying, you know, you've got these, these battles that are going on, like um, between the ECT document, Evangelicals and Catholics Together. And then you've got uh, Jim Kennedy, John MacArthur, uh, John Piper over here saying, no way I'm going to be one with that. And so, uh, you know, what kinds of things do we, um, must we exclude from this circle that, that, that with which we must insist upon unity?
How big do you draw that thing? And how big you draw it has to do with the, the way that you the way that you understand the nature of this unity. Now, what I, what I want to do is give you a couple of three images from the New Testament that I think will help you. But, I, you know, it's not going to be comprehensive help. It'll be a little help. Here's, here's what I mean. One of the New Testament words that is used to describe the people of God is the term family. That we're a family. Now, guys, think about that. Family. Well, you know, there's supposed to be unity in families. <laughs> It's not often true, but, I mean, there's, there's supposed to be, you know, families are supposed to have a, a certain unity to them. And one of the things that brings unity in the family is that there's a common father. That, that everybody has the same father, you know? That, 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 this family thing is made a family because there's a common father. Now, folks, one of the things that you have heard and that you have been taught, I bet, and that you have adopted rather casually, that is so horribly wrong, is something called the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not true. God is not the father of all mankind. He's the creator of all mankind. There is a universal creatorhood of God, but not a universal fatherhood. Of God, And not only that, there is not anything known as a universal brotherhood of mankind. I am not brothers with all mankind. So that universal gobbledygook needs to be expunged from your thinking. No, but the, this, 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 this unity that we're supposed to have is supposed to be one where we all share the same Father, making us brothers and sisters. And you know, we don't choose who our brothers and sisters are physically, and we don't choose who our brothers and sisters are spiritually either. One of the interesting things about this family is that we're not all identical twins. There's a lot of weird people in this room. You know, uh, you've got a lot of eccentricities. You're a, you're different, and you know, um, we're just we're just we're not identical. We don't all quack in the same way, but because we share this same father, those folks are to be included in this circle. The ones that share the same father. Now, let me give you one other thing about this family. Uh, not only do they have a common father. But they have a common big brother. Um, gang, um, I think what you find in the text in verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That is, the harmony that is expected of us is something that is in accord with Christ Jesus. So not only do we have the same father, we also have the same big brother. Um, and, and I think it's Jesus that helps us here. Jesus says, if they're not against me, they're for me. 
if there's a common relationship to this brother and a common relationship to this father, they got to be included in that circle. Now, guys, let me caution you. Just because you name the name Jesus doesn't mean I have the same big brother. Classic illustration that should really resonate with some of you. Gang, the church of, um, the church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints is not a common commitment to this brother. I don't care whether his name's in the title or not. Mormonism does not share the same father and brother. Does Mormonism have high views of Jesus? Yes, they do. They think he's a God. And by the way, you are too. You can be one of those as well. So the point is, you can put Jesus in your name as, as, as much as you want. That doesn't mean that they go in here. And it's not the ones to whom I have been called to be in harmony, with whom I've been called to be in harmony. So a common relationship to the brother, the big brother, and a common relationship um, to the father. If I've got that, then I'm in the family. And if I'm in the family, then I'm called to be in harmony with that other family member though he may differ from me in a whole lot of other ways. You know, he may differ over his views of baptism, his views of eschatology, his views of predestination, and, and the circle gets just getting smaller and smaller. I'm saying that whoever's got this, the same father and the same big brother, that's the nature of it. It's a family unity because we share the same brother and we share the same father. You know, I, I said earlier, um, um, the liberals, I mean, it's so much easier to be a liberal because they don't believe anything. The classic example, have you ever heard of the World Council of Churches? Oh, my. Ladies and gentlemen, that thing is a den of iniquity. But it's the World Council of Churches. How could that possibly be off-center? It's, it's not even in the ballpark, ladies and gentlemen. But it's called... And, and, you know, they're pleading for us to have this giant ecumenicity. You know what that means, don't you? Ecumenical movement. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. I'm not a brother with a Mormon. I'm not a brother with a Mormon. I'm not a brother with, with a Jehovah's Witness. I'm not a brother with them. They don't have the same God. They don't have the same father, the same big brother. So... Um, that's the first term. The first term has to do with a family. The other two are, are less helpful, I think. Um, the other one has to do with, with a term that you've heard a lot, koinonia. You've heard of that, that term. Um, it's a term that has as its root, the etymology of the word, has to do with a commonality. I want to show it to you. I, I want you to see this because it really, uh, it's in 1 John chapter 1. If you've still got your phones on, um, see if you can find 1 John real quick, faster than us with a real Bible. Um, but it's 1 John 1, 7 that says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. There's that word. There's that, that very well-known word, fellowship or, or koinonia, 
with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Keep reading. Um, uh, no, 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 let's go up some. Uh, that which we have seen in her, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship. There's that word again with us. And indeed our fellowship, there it is again, is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. John is, is talking about this rich thing that's supposed to exist amongst us called koinonia or fellowship. I heard, I had a kid in my office one day when I was in Louisville, Mississippi, and he said, fellowship means you're a bunch of fellows in the same ship. Well, it doesn't mean that, ladies and gentlemen. It means that there's a commonality. There's something that we, that we share, that's something that we have in common. And you can see from these verses what it is that John had in view <coughs> when, he, when he was describing the thing that we have in common. It has to do with our relationship with the Lord Jesus. So whatever fellowship you have, if it's this New Testament koinonia stuff, it centers in, it, 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 it revolves around, it, it, it derives from Jesus Christ. The, the, other, the other term that the New Testament uses, uh, I think that has something to do with unity, is the term body. So we talk about a family, we talk about a fellowship, we talk about a body. And, um, but there again, um, that great diversity in the body is supposed to lend itself or it's supposed to create unity. Yes, yes, yes. But the way that you get into that body is through a, um, a vital living relationship with the Savior. Now, gang, I, I think I have, that, that's, what I, that's all I can tell you in terms of the nature of this unity. It is familial. It, it, is, it, is, it has a fellowship component to it. It's a, there's a lot of diversity in it. But it has a common father and a common big brother. If you add any more criteria, then you, your circle becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So I'm saying if there is a common father and a common big brother then those are the ones, that's the nature of the unity. Now, gang, let me talk about this big circle just real quickly. There is a term that was introduced years ago by Francis Schaeffer, and the term was co-belligerent. Can I lock arms with a Mormon over abortion? Yes. But that's not what is being pled for in, in uh, Romans 15, 5. Is there a co-belligerency that I share with <coughs> Islam <coughs> over adultery? Oh, you bet I do. I am a co-belligerent over those issues. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that I've lumped me in here. That doesn't mean I've come from here and gone into there. I haven't. But over those issues that are um, social ills, I can, I can be a co-belligerent with those who are on the same page with me over those issues. Now, th- that's the nature. That's all I got for you in terms of the nature of the unity. Let me show you what the text says about the source of the unity. He says it in verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement 
grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Notice, I'm, he's pleading for a, a harmony that exists among uh, believers that is granted. Granted. It's a gift, ladies and gentlemen. Do you think that, I mean, do you enjoy the sweetness and the unity that exists at Gracie Van? I do. You know, um, I, I was with some dear folks last night, and, and they don't know a whole lot about Gracie Van yet. And, you know, when you, when you want to know some things about Gracie Van, what, what, what does the preacher tell them? Well, he starts off by saying the preaching is incredibly wonderful. Um, I never go there, but the, the thing I do say is, you know, what you find at Gracie Van is peace. There's not, there's not any hubba hubba going on here. There's not any of that back room stuff going on here. I mean, talk to the elders. It's just not a, there's none of that stuff going on. None of, amongst the staff, amongst the elders. I mean, you might be fighting, but we aren't. But where did that come from? Because of great, sound, solid, godly leadership from Dr. Yo. No, ladies and gentlemen, it was granted. It's granted we are called upon to maintain it uh, in Ephesians 4, but it's granted. It's not created. It's not worked up. In fact, that's why I have such trouble with ecumenicity, because ecumenicity is all flesh. It is all, now let's just all paint on this goofy grin and smile and say we're one in Jesus. That's all flesh. Folks, but this stuff that is so enjoyable and so rich is something that, that God graces us with. And should we displease him, he may see fit to withdraw it as well. It's a gift. So the, 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 I've given you the nature. We talked about those three words. The, the source is a gift. Now, the goal, the goal is mentioned in verse 6, that together... By the way, guys, just a, I mean, I always have to like to do this because it lets you know that I do have an education. In the Greek language, there's a thing called a hina clause. Um, it's, it's always introduced with this little particle here. Um, and, and, it, and it introduces a purpose clause. <clears throat> You'll see the word uh, in verse 6. It opens up in verse 6 with that. Uh, or so that. It's a purpose clause. And whenever you find a hina in the Greek text... You are getting a purpose, a purpose statement. And that's what you get in verse 6, a purpose statement. Why do you want this, um, this, this harmony, this unity? So that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of this unity stuff is, um, is that God be glorified. The goal is not so much that the church be a pleasant place to attend. The goal is that God might be glorified in all of us weirdo people figuring out a way to enjoy one another. You know, unity glorifies God. Church fighting does untold damage, as many of you could attest. Um, nothing is uglier than a good old church fight. Um, but sweet peace amongst God's people uh, gives God glory. Now, let me move to the last text and uh, wrap up with verse 7. 
Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Again, there's something <coughs> I need you to see about this. This is, this is the other end of the parenthesis. This is the other end of the bookends. This is a closed bookend at verse 7 of chapter 5. Look at, look at 14.1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Do you see that? This discussion started in 14.1. It concludes in 15.7. Therefore, welcome. You see, from 14.1 to 15.7, Paul is talking about welcoming or, or, or a group of Christians being a welcoming group of Christians. He says, welcome in 14.1. He closes off this section. He closes off this section by saying, now, therefore, welcome one another. Just like I started in 14.1, he's closing it in 15.7. You see that first. Now, Guys, I want to tell you an opinion, but I think it's pretty easy to defend, but I think I've already done this. This section, starting at 14.1 and ending in 15.7, is a section that is not exclusively addressed to the strong, but it is primarily addressed to the strong. Remember how we defined the strong. The strong was the, this group of Jewish believers who had been, you know, born and bred on Moses' law. And so they came into the church and, and, uh, and they found all these Gentiles getting converted. And the Gentiles didn't have all of their, their I's dotted and their T's crossed like they did. And so there was this friction that existed between the, the long-time, uh, you know, Jewish converts and these newfound, wild-eyed, crazy folks that, that had been converted from Gentile backgrounds. And so Paul writes this section to what he, what he calls the strong. You know, we people who are above all that kind of behavior. We're far more spiritual than that bunch. He addresses this primarily, not exclusively, but primarily to the strong. And he says to the strong, he says, I'm, I'm asking you to welcome one another. Yeah, they're going to bring in their, their ugly, uh, dirty mouths. They're going to bring in some backgrounds that are unsavory. And they're going to bring in some habits that you're not accustomed to. And Paul looks at the strong and he says, I want you to welcome them. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that's hard for the legalists. Legalists find that very hard. Why so? Why, why, why is it that the legalist finds it so hard? Well, guys, first of all, we legalists, we ex-legalists, we are um, constantly seeking to justify ourselves. And, and to do that by, by our good behavior, by our good performance. And to do that, to justify myself, I've got to continually compare myself with other people. And, um, and, 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 and as I compare, I want to find as much fault as I can possibly find in them so that I can somehow feel superior to them. Um, so my deep insecurity as, an, as a human being leads me to feel, number one, I'm right, which means you're wrong, and number two, you need to shape up. 
That is the that is a that is a picture of a legalist, ladies and gentlemen. Out of their deep insecurities, they're seeking to justify themselves by their performance, and therefore they're comparing themselves to everybody else. And I've got to I've got to pick you apart because I'm right, you're wrong, and you need to shape up. Um, <clears throat> thus. It leads to all these disputes, all these rules, all this critical spirit. I say that, ladies and gentlemen, so I can say this. Look at this text. Therefore, welcome one another. And may I draw your attention to the most critical word in the entire text. As... I want you to welcome one another as Christ Jesus has welcomed you. You see, ladies and gentlemen, as you've heard me teach in numerous times in the past, um, a grace-based ministry, a grace-based message abominates legalism. Um, The only people who can (coughs) pull off this admonition of verse 7, welcoming one another that are these people that are so different from me, are people who know that they are accepted in Jesus Christ in spite of all of their flaws and in spite of all of their failings. I am in Christ, not because of my performance, but because Jesus Christ has paid every piece of the debt that I owe. And in spite of my failings, in spite of my flaws, in spite of my sin, I'm accepted in the beloved. And people who know that can then accept others with all of their flaws and all of their failings. Can I, can I give you an example? I mean, to me, this is a, this is a good example. I thought of this myself, um, which is not... not uh, um, anyway, guys, do you know why we find forgiveness so hard? That is, when somebody's offended me and, you know, you know why I find forgiveness hard? Here's why, ladies and gentlemen. Because we say, in the back of our minds, I would never do that. Once you acknowledge, not only would I do that, I've done worse, then forgiveness becomes more and more possible. Once I know my own flaws, once I know I'm accepted in my own weaknesses, once I know that my performance is not the basis on which I'm accepted, once I know that, that's called grace, ladies and gentlemen. Once I know that then, then I can welcome others as I have been welcomed. But legalists, legalists are people who are, who are trying to justify themselves because of their good behavior 
which means that I've got to undercut you so I can feel good about my behavior and therefore accepting you with all that bad behavior. Can't do it. But guys, here's another one of those gospel-esque requirements. How are we going to accept those people? Well, just do it the way that you've been accepted. Just go back and remember, how did I get accepted? Because of my good performance? Because those people, they don't have the good performance that I got. No, ladies and gentlemen, it wasn't your good performance, was it? It wasn't. It had nothing to do with your performance. I hope you know that. And because... You recognize your own flaws because you recognize your own failings. Then another brother in the same circle with me in the midst of his failings and his flaws. Gang, I wonder about about your understanding of the gospel if a moral failing in our midst causes you to wonder, how could he have possibly done that? (laughs) It's laughable. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you've got the same potential. So do I. Given the right set of circumstances, we all come tumbling down. And, and, and sometimes I wonder if God doesn't create circumstances. I'm not teaching this, but I just wonder if he creates circumstances so that we will implode, so that we will be reminded, oh, that is in there. And the basis of my acceptance is what Jesus has done, not what I have done. So guys, all of that said, the way that you pull this business off that has been discussed in this whole section from 14.1 to 15.7, the way that you pull all this off is by knowing the provisions of the gospel. Is by reminding yourself of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And then you, when it comes to forgiveness, oh, they did that terrible thing to me. But you know what? I've done that too. I've done that and I've done worse. So how can I be mad at him when I did the same thing? I got the same flaw. I got the same failing. But I'm accepted because of what what Christ provided for me. So I'm just going to accept him as I have been accepted. That's the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. And that's how the gospel is to permeate a community. And once everybody's got those facts down straight, then we're not hard on people's moral failings. We're sorry. There's going to be some consequences. But the first thing we rush to is to say, is to remind them of what Jesus has accomplished for people as wicked as we are. I say this, and I got it from Edmund Clowney. Edmund Clowney taught at Westminster Seminary years ago. I'm not this smart. But it's a wonderful statement, ladies and gentlemen.
And if you don't ever hear another thing that I teach, you remember this one because it came from Dave Clowney. He says this. You are far more wicked than you ever dreamed. But you are far more loved than you ever dared hope. Isn't that glorious? My friend, you ain't kidding me. And I ain't kidding you. You are far more wicked than you ever want to admit. But I got good news for you. Because of Christ's finished work, I am far more loved than I ever dared hope. Keep that in mind. And then we can pull this off. Apart from that, no hope. Let's, let's quit. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will remind us of the great provisions that are ours because of Christ's finished work, that we are to welcome as we've been welcomed. We are to forgive as we've been forgiven. That the only source of any kind of power to go do these, these spiritually demanding things these spiritually impossible things is by reminding ourselves of the provisions of the gospel for us. Father, we are yours. And you didn't get gems. But we are yours because you have seen fit to open our eyes to the beauties and the excellencies of Jesus Christ. Might we be privileged by being able to share that far and wide. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.